0: Hi
1: folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is April the 9th, 2020, and this is episode... 2636 of the Survival Podcast. I've got a longtime friend of the show, John Bush, coming on today. Uh, John has been around a long time in the liberty movement. Uh, he was uh, brought into the libertarian school of thought uh, by Dr. Paul, Dr. Ron Paul, in two- 2007, as I think many people were. Uh, I was the guy that, you know, in 2000 I was a libertarian, but I didn't know it. Uh, Ron Paul was part of the ethos that made me go, oh, that's what I am. John had similar uh, exposure to Dr. Paul as many of us did. Uh, He's looked deeply into the deep state. He's looked deeply into some things I don't completely agree with on conspiracy theory. Um, I don't have to agree with my guests 100% on things. And most of what he actually has to say I do agree with. He's done a lot of work lately... Uh, with both CBD and Kratom. We've had him on to talk about those before, and I'm sure that will come into discussion today. Um, But it really is not what we're talking about today. We're going to be talking about John's view, uh, primarily looking at COVID-19, about a bunch of different stuff. Um, One, the threat to our freedoms that that comes out of this. And I I think that that's a real threat. I did a whole show on it right when this all started, saying these are the long-term implications. I do think some people are going a little... A little too batshit crazy. I don't think John is. I think some people are, but I think you have to look at the long-term consequences. They're trying to lock us up. The government doesn't want you locked up, folks. You're, you're, you're a, you are a dairy cow, and what they milk you of is your money for taxes. They want you on the milking line. They don't want you in your house where they have to feed you and not tax you. Uh, but they will use any excuse. We're going to talk about potential mandatory vaccination. I don't know that it will be mandatory, but I have a feeling that they'll do it in a way that might make something else mandatory, which is a flu vaccine. Uh, I've talked about that as well. We'll talk to John about that today. We'll talk about the expansion of surveillance in America um, and some of our biggest threats to our economy coming in and out of this, um, how our economy might change, um, ideas for those that are out of work. We're going to talk about business owners and what you can do if you're a business owner during this time. What we can do to minimize stress, which I think is incredibly important, and what we can do to boost immunity, at least John's view on that. I've given you a lot of my view on that up till now. We'll get to all of that in just a moment. Before we do, let's go ahead and uh, remind you uh, to check out our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today is Butcher Box. If you check them out, you're going to have to get on waiting list. I got an email recently from Nicole Sauce that she uh, she kind of browbeat one of her relatives and to join in Butcher Box back in March because of what COVID represented and potential lockdowns. And they didn't really want to, but they did. Uh, they just sent her a big thank you because Butcher Box now has a waiting list for people that want to become members. Um, so if you want to become a member of Butcher Box as this kind of ebbs out, you might want to get on the waiting list now. Um, they are a great sponsor. They've always taken care of this audience and they have been a godsend to a lot of y'all. I know I've heard from a bunch of you that like Butcher Box saved your butt especially since you're already a member, being able to increase your order and stuff like that through this time. Uh, next up, let's talk about our other sponsor today, Free State Project. I've been supporting these guys since 2010. I've keynoted at two of their uh, conventions. I've spoken at three. and Assuming it doesn't get canceled due to uh, travel problems and stuff like that, I'll be speaking uh, quite a bit at Porkfest this summer. Uh, Free State Project is a group of people that are moving to New Hampshire to drag it, kicking, screaming into the world of liberty. Check them out at uh, fsp.org. With that, um, let's talk about, before I bring John on, our quote of the day today. Um, This is one of those quotes that there really isn't a source for because it's been around so long and it's such a truism that it's been said by many people. You can even find uh, supposedly people like Albert Einstein or Plato said it because people know that if you put somebody's name next to something, it gives it more credibility, and nobody really knows who to quote. But one person we can quote for a version of it, who actually penned it, is a guy named Paulo Coelho, who is a Brazilian uh, novelist and lyricist. And the way he expressed it was, and I, I like this because it attributes it to the unknown. He said, it is said that the darkest hour of night came just before the dawn. It is said that the darkest hour of night came just before the dawn. I'm, I'm bringing that to you today because right now, when you look at the actual things that are going on with COVID, everything looks great when you look out a few weeks and it all looks really shitty right now. And in many places, the peak death rate is is upon us or soon will be in the next few days. Uh, the maximum number of people dying, the maximum utilization of hospital resources, et cetera. And one of the things you have to remember in this, as I've been saying, is that the deaths will lag behind the recovery of new cases because there are people that will go on a ventilator and they'll be on there for three weeks and they'll still die. So even when you have new cases dry up to very, very few, you're going to see that you'll continue to have deaths come in at fairly high numbers, and they'll they'll dwindle behind the dwindling of new cases. And I know people right now say, but Jack, you're crazy because there's almost as many new cases today as there was yesterday. Yeah, there's almost as many. But remember when everybody was screaming hysterically, it's
0: doubling every three
1: days, like, like a bunch of lunatics. And I'm like, calm the hell down. None of these things, none of these epidemics or pandemics throughout history have ever behaved that way. They can't sustain themselves with those kinds of numbers. Nothing runs incremental continuously. Every projection based on that for everything, whether it's a stock market prediction up or down, whether it's a disease, whether it's a computing power, all of it eventually falls apart. You can't have that kind of sustained rate of anything. And we're seeing that level off. And if you look at the countries who preceded us into this, that had it really tough, like Switzerland, like Italy, like Spain, they've all flattened and started to dwindle. And if you, I have a website you guys can check out on COVID-19 where you can look at individual countries, but you can also look at the individual states. And it doesn't show the new cases. It shows the modeling for the projections of utilization of resources by hospitals. You know, there's about 10 states that have real problems, and a lot of them have already hit their peak. By the way, New York is already hit its peak utilization of resources, and we have empty hospital tents in New York. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That means we put surge capacity there, it wasn't used. There's shortage of respirators in the model, but yet right now they're getting by, and their resource utilization is going to begin to drop. If you look at a state like Texas, the curve is flat as a pancake. still on the way up, but flat. And many other states are like that. And I said weeks ago, Washington, Oregon, and California had turned the curve and were in decline. And I was told to shut up, and I didn't know what I was talking about. Blah, 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 blah. blah. Go look at this website. Again, I'll link to it in the show notes today. It is darkest right now. It is dark in the minds and the hearts of individuals. It is dark in the death rate of individuals. But one thing we do need to be pragmatic about in this death rate, the, 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 the best epidemiologists in the world right now are saying that at least half of the people that pass away from COVID would have passed away within six months of something anyway. That doesn't help the other half. And it doesn't help you if it took away your last month or two with a loved one. It doesn't. And I understand that. And it doesn't help the people that survive but have permanent lung lung damage. I'm not saying it. But there is a perspective here. There is a point that people reach where something is going to take them out. Where they're not going to live another year. There is a point in human lives Where if we don't get taken out by something acute, or we don't get taken out by an accident or something like that, people just reach an age and a limitation based on their genetics and their lifestyle of how long they're going to live. There are people that also might live another two years, but don't know who they are, don't know where they are, and can't function. But they're barely kept alive by people spoon-feeding them or whatever. And it's sad when they go too, but in the end, they were going to go. And there is some of that. There's also, we need to stay pragmatic and not overly optimistic with certain things. I saw a report today come out on herd immunity, and they're investigating how much herd immunity is in California. You know, it flattened really, really hard. So did they hit herd immunity? Well, I think they might have hit, see, herd immunity is not an on-off switch. It's like a dimmer switch you turn up. The more and more people who have been exposed to something and developed immunity or resistance to it, the more you're turning up that dimmer switch. And I absolutely believe, and I have, I have maintained from the very beginning, that the number of people infected far exceeds the number of diagnosed cases. Anthony Fauci, our top doctor, says it's at least 50%. That is, to me, like the biggest sandbag underplay that I've ever heard in my life. And I do think there is a conscious effort by people in charge, for what they believe is the right reasons, to over-scare you so that you will comply with their request that you stay in place, social distance, wear masks, etc. I, I, I think it's a conscious effort that's justified in their minds of people are stupid. A person is smart, people are stupid. Tommy Lee Jones and Men, are, men in Black, right? Okay? People are dumb, scared, etc. So they're using fear for control. I believe that. I think that number could be north of 5 to 10x. Meaning if you have 300,000 cases, you really have 3 million or more cases. But, as I've been saying, you have to visualize this like a pyramid. A pyramid, perfect pyramid shaped iceberg, something that never would exist in nature, but that's how to visualize it. And you know, the iceberg puts about one ninth of its size out of the water. So you see a fairly big looking thing and there's nine times that volume under the water. We don't know what that under-the-water number is. There's no reason to expect that it would be exactly the same as an iceberg, and different icebergs are in different shapes. But, again, see this in your mind of this pyramid with a massive base under the water and only the tip sticking out. And what that means is until we're specifically looking for COVID – that people present with pneumonia, et cetera, and you know that happens all the time from the flu and other respiratory infections. So you can have a couple hundred or even a couple thousand people in a state die over six months of this and not even know what you're looking at. That's some kind of you know upper respiratory. I they just they'll call it other re- upper respiratory infection. That's what they would call it up until they're testing for it. And if the number of people that even have symptoms, let alone serious need to go in the ICU, is a very low percentage of the total, lower than we think it is. You could have a tiny tip of that iceberg sitting up, and, and it's there. It can be seen, but unless you're specifically looking for it, you don't know that it's there. You don't know what it is. You oh, there's this thing. And it has to, as the iceberg gets really, really big, boom, a big tip points out that's so different from everything else that you know, oh, this is something new. Or in this case, since we already knew what to look for, this is COVID. Now we see it. Herd immunity says the bigger that iceberg is underneath the water, the closer we are to the end of this through a natural cycle of developing immunity in a population. Okay, fine. I buy all that, and I buy that number being much bigger than we think it is. But I can't logically explain away this fact. The number of cases that are... Needing treatment, and the number of cases that need ICU treatment, and the number of cases that put people on ventilators, the number of places, cases that kill people. In California, which is a huge state with a huge population, vastly smaller than the number of people that fit all those categories in the state of New York, specifically New York City area, uh, and then adjusted for population, Connecticut, Rhode Island, New Jersey. Much bigger iceberg in that area than there is in California no matter how big that x factor is the iceberg's much bigger over there now i can explain why you cram 8.6 million people into 300 square miles in new york city you're going to have a greater spread of infection but i can't explain it away but i can give you a possibility as to how it could be but i don't think it is but it's here's my possibility i know there's something in lifestyle nutrient something that makes people far more susceptible to this and take it harder. I don't know what it is, and I don't think we're looking hard enough for it. We should be running nutritional blood panels on every single person that dies, every single person that ends up in an ICU, every single person that at least needs a hospital. And we should be running those same panels on a large portion, an equal number of people from the same age groups of people that test positive but never need serious treatment. And we need to look for what is the differential. Is it zinc? Is it selenium? Is it a combination of things? There is something. There is something that makes certain people have less innate immunity toward this infection and take it harder and be more likely to die. There is something. It's lifestyle. It's nutrition. It's a combination. There's the age, which is kind of proportional across, but there's something else. And we don't know what it is. It is possible. I did not say probably. It is possible that people in California are better equipped with innate immunity than people in New York. It's possible. It's possible. And then you might have similar sized below the surface icebergs, but one floats higher than the other. I think that's less probable than just the icebergs smaller in California due to population density and total infection rate. But until we look at this, and here's the problem. We have doctors and research, PhDs, etc. are very slow on the uptake to anything that's like a natural health supplement thing. That's why there's not enough doctors right now that are finally using chloroquine, many with this, this zithromycin, but they're not adding the zinc. Like, it's too simple. It can't, it, it, despite known science, put zinc in a cell and you disrupt any RNA replicating virus. Period. Like, that is scientific fact. Still mental block. And then a zinc shortage doesn't help. But that's that's the case, man. These folks are... It is hard to get them to accept that a person could have a blood level of zinc or selenium or anything that they would look at on a, on a medical report and say, that's not a deficiency. But yet it's a deficiency. Because, well, that's average, Averages all the people in the state fair lining up for a fried corn dog together. Average. That's average. When we look at if you look at and say, hey, look, all these people here, (laughs) all these people that had mild cases, had these three things elevated above the average of all these people who didn't, that would be a ding ding ding. We need to look at that. But we don't know what those are. The recommendation I give of Cuserton um, along with zinc and green tea that's been endorsed by a lot of people and don't exceed recommended dosages but it's been endorsed I mean an infectious disease doctor with 30 years of specializing in infectious disease said yeah that seems like it makes sense scientifically that's what I came up with that's what I recommend and I take two of those every day anyway you know I take zinc and I take q on a daily basis anyway but Is that is that what it is? Is that there's just that people generally have more zinc in their diet in California? Maybe it's possible, but it's not probable. But there's something, there's something, and we need to look at a lot of things that affect innate immunity. Anyway, that's just my kind of soliloquy on that for you today. With that, we should be primed now to talk about COVID and its impact with our special guest John Bush. And with that, hey John, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast.
2: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Hey man, glad to have you back on. we got a long laundry list of stuff to talk about today, kind of all revolving around, at least in one way or another, the current pandemic, COVID-19 that we're in the middle of. But before we dig into any of that, um, let's start off with, can you just tell people a little bit about who you are, like your background, how you got into what you're doing? Because you've been on the show, I think, three or four times now, but there are people listening today that have never heard from you before and don't know who John Bush is.
2: Yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, my name's John, and I hail from Austin, Texas. I've been involved in activism in one form or another since 2002. Uh, that's when I was began to question some of the official counts of what took place on 9-11, and that kind of led me down a rabbit hole of questioning government in general. And I had an affinity for the U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights in college, did some ACLU activism. Then I learned about libertarianism. I already kind of resonated with the philosophy from one of my ethics classes, but Dr. Ron Paul came around in 2007 with his campaign, and that's when I was really introduced to the philosophy of libertarianism. Got further involved in that campaign. Uh, Learned about Murray Rothbard and anarchism, and that was even more of a little – Path down the rabbit hole, uh, we formed a political action committee, uh, back in 2009 called Texans for Accountable Government. They're still around pushing back on the police state, standing up for gun rights, cannabis reform. Um, you know, but along the way, I felt that I had given so much energy and effort to creating freedom in this world through the political channels and through trying to convince other people, especially politicians, to do the right thing. <laughs> and I realized that even though we would have little small victories, they weren't really creating more freedom. In reality, they were just stopping more tyranny. So that's when I kind of had a shift to focus on solutions. And the idea that, first of all, we need to change the way that we live, whether it's natural health, growing our own food, but also doing a lot of the inner work, You know, so we're not facing those inner tyrants, which have a lot more power and control over us than the tyrants in Washington. It was also the idea that, you know, in order to create freedom in our world, we need to focus on creating alternative institutions, alternative sources of food production, alternative means of defense through community watch groups and self-defense groups, uh, alternative means of currency. This is where cryptocurrency really came into play, and then ultimately, alternative means of social organization. And we founded the concept of freedom cells, which are like small mutual aid groups. And so that's really what my focus has been. Kind of got lost in a lot of entrepreneurship more lately because I got tired of living in poverty with my family. But yeah, just been out there trying to change myself for the better and share what's worked for me, and, and ultimately create a more free and prosperous society for everyone to thrive.
1: So a lot like me, you you value liberty pretty much above everything, like even above money. Because if you give me liberty, I'll get money. Right? I mean, I think like no matter what or, you know, if you if I have liberty, anything that doesn't put me in the ground or at least flat on my back, I can overcome. But you take my liberty. Now I have a problem. Right. I can even have money and no freedom. And I'm, I'm kind of miserable. Right. So one of the things that people are and I think rightfully very concerned about is the threat to liberty, not from covid, But from the response to COVID, and I've seen that go from very pragmatic and realistic to like totally nut job shit. They're about to load us all up and put us in FEMA camps. right? And I think that there's like somewhere in the middle, there's the actual reality to the threat here. What do you see as kind of the biggest threat to our freedom through all of this crap that's going on right now?
2: Yeah, early on, I I kind of caught on to what to expect here in the states based on what we were seeing across the world, and then when it's popped off in Washington and in the West Coast, and you saw how governments were reacting, knowing that it was a highly contagious virus, I knew it was going to spread. Uh, early on, I you know I kind of withheld judgment on how severe the virus itself was going to be. But I recognize I put out an email to my email list and said, you know, more so than the virus, what we need to worry about is the problems that we're going to face with the economy, which, you know, when there's a Great Depression, there's tons of people dying, starving, a lot of people committing suicide because they're not able to be productive and their whole life gets thrown off. But being a a liberty activist, for the past like 20 years, I knew also that those in power, like Rahm Emanuel said, they never let a crisis go to waste. And so already having researched the rolling out of the police state, of the surveillance state especially, I quickly saw that those in power were going to just use this as an opportunity to take more power, to control the people more. And so we see the lockdowns, I think, are just demonstrative of how, I don't know, how sheep-like the subjects are. And you know, I'll admit myself, I'm, I'm staying in. I'm not going to go protest at the Capitol right now. I, I think it's not a, a popular cause like things that I've been involved in before. But I think just the sheer fact that there's checkpoints now, that they're completely controlling our movement, like one of the essences of the definition of liberty is the freedom of movement, the freedom of travel. And that's been completely locked down. So that's a big concern. And then on top of that, the rolling out of this surveillance state. So there was this program. There is a program called ID 2020 that Bill Gates, who's now a central figurehead in this, he is partnered with the Rockefeller Foundation and all these vaccine conglomerates. And they really want to use this as an opportunity to roll out surveillance and even Bill Gates said in Ask Me Anything on on Reddit that we're going to need certificates to be able to travel and come out of our little lockdown, certificates saying that we've taken the vaccine or we've developed immunity. So these are some of the concerns for me because those in power, they're not benevolent people that are genuinely looking out for our best interest. And in, for the most part, you have your little Ron Pauls and Thomas Massey's and even Bernie Sanders. I don't agree with him, but he seems like he has genuine, genuine, genuine interest at hand. But, yeah, I'm concerned that this surveillance state is going to be used. It's not going to go away, and this is only the beginning of their rollout.
0: So I I, I
1: get what you're saying. I also think that generally things are done a lot more subtly than that. So, like, Bill Gates can want whatever the hell Bill Gates wants, and that doesn't mean – like, if Bill Gates got everything Bill Gates wanted, the world would be a different place. Bill Gates has a lot of influence with money, but he doesn't have authority. So he, Bill Gates can say you have to have a certificate, and he can shove it up his ass for for what, <laughs> what all of humanity can give a shit about. There's people always saying the way things should be, and that doesn't necessarily matter. You're kind of moving toward, like, mandatory vaccine here. So I said this, like, way back. I'm talking, like, five, six weeks ago. I did a show on – this type of thing, what's going to come out of this that's, that's really negative for humanity, the, the, the real risks and dangers long term. And what I said is instead of a mandatory vaccine for COVID, I don't think they have to do a mandatory vaccine to get a massive number on the uptake of getting this vaccine. After being locked down and all, people will do whatever so that this doesn't happen to them again. Right. So yeah. there's people like you. They'll say, I ain't taking no vaccine no matter what. But the majority of the sheep will just do it. And a majority of people that do think for themselves will be like, that's eh, covid vaccine. OK, fine. Yeah, because they believe that they're safer or whatever. What I think they're likely to do here is say, you know, this this covid season and this flu season all happens together and you get the DTaP vaccine. Right. So there won't be a flu vaccine and a covid vaccine there'll be a combo vaccine. And then they'll use fear-mongering to not only get more vaccines into people for COVID, but to now vicariously get a much higher vaccination rate for the flu. And I think that's the kind of subtlety. And then you use useful mouthpieces like Gates because it's the extreme. And then when you put something that people generally would resist, but it's moderate to the extreme, all of a sudden it seems reasonable. And if you look at a history of how you erode liberty, you always have some mouthpiece with an extreme, and then you always have like this supposed moderate compromise that people generally accept, because, well, it is, if, if you look at like Donald Trump, it is, it is a reverse version of the art of the deal. You ask for an obscene amount of money, and you ask for an obscene amount of things that you want, and then you say, well, but we're reasonable, and then you have all this you can give up, But you're actually getting what you want. Does that make sense?
2: No, I appreciate – yeah, it does. I appreciate that view. Um, Early on, like back in 2002, 2005, I was all hyped up on conspiracy, new world order. Uh Then when I learned about human action and through libertarianism, I realized that most people act in self-interest. There are a small group of people that genuinely want to create a global government that's more totalitarian in nature and erode national sovereignty and erode individual liberty. But I think you're right. It's not, I don't think that mass vaccinations are going to come down the pike. But what they may try to do is like they were going to do with the real ID act. Thankfully sure. that's been delayed, but it was like, if you don't get the real ID compliant act, which has all your biometrics and stuff, then you can't travel. So it's possible because everyone's worked up into a frenzy like never before, you know, kind of rivals the frenzy after 9 11. And that was the same problem reaction solution where they use that. Takeaway Rights Patriot Act National Defense Authorization Act And such But what it could be Is if you don't have This certificate Uh, which could be digital. He said digital certificate. And Mm -hmm. then we see that he's helping to fund and he's uh, linked up with uh, Rice University research where they have these little dissolving micro needles that embed into your skin. So it's not the full on micro chip like some say they're going to chip us and this is is where they're doing it. There's not a lot. I mean, that's in the works. People want that, but that's not being rolled out right now. Um, But they are exploring different technology. It could be the case that what they see as privileges, I see it as right to travel and to work, right? Sure. We have rights to do that. But they could say, unless you have the vaccine or this certificate or a certificate of immunity, then you can't go on a plane, for example, or you can't travel interstate. And I'm glad you brought up Trump because Bill Gates doesn't have authority as in he's not a political official. However, he is heavily influenced with the World Health Organization and he had, there's a lot of the, they roll out a lot of the stuff through non-governmental organizations. Absolutely. But, but I think Trump actually represents, you know, love him or hate him, I'm not a huge fan. He does have an authoritarian strain, but I do appreciate that he is a differentiation from the what, they, what he calls the deep state, what I've always referred to as the shadow government. So he's actually throwing a big wrench in their gears. Of the He's talking about defunding World Health Organization. I know you've covered the chloroquine stuff a lot. Mm-hmm. He's, he's talking about rolling out this older medicine that people have already made the profit off of. So, yeah, it's not the whole totalitarian New World Order thing. There's other forces at play, and I think Trump is one of those big forces that's going to – prevent a lot of what they, what the powers that be want to do through this. Well, if you look at
1: – you, you got to look at government as an entity, right? As almost like a living organism versus what I think people generally think of it as, is, is, you know, we the people or something. So governments, whether they're an HOA, like the smallest and, and in some ways most oppressive government you could have as an <laughs> HOA, all the way up to like a federal government or kind of a de facto global government – in you know the united nations and in some way something like world health organization health organization kind of is a de facto global government for a sector of things governments by their very nature and you could put you know mother teresa's and ron paul's in all the positions and you still get a entity that seeks to grow that yes. seeks to increase power so this is like a natural thing. The If you give any entity power, it will use that power to make another power, almost like a viral replication of power, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's going to happen. And then when something like this happens, the Democrats were way up front about it with the, the bailout bill. We have a chance to remake society in our image. They said it, right? So like these people will take this opportunity to get whatever it is they want. Now the certificate... Being something digital with a phone, and this goes into some stuff with, I'm not religious at all, at all, zero, to be very clear before I say what I'm about to say. But you you have all these people going around worrying about the chip, and it's the mark of the beast in the right hand or the forehead. Why the hell would I chip a society that has, has attached itself to its mobile phones as though they're life support and won't go anywhere without them? and I've often thought it's of just a mess with people one day just you know doing that whole scripture like and no man could buy or sell unless he received the mark of the beast in his right hand or his forehead and while I'm doing it hold up my cell phone and put it to my face right because like that's eerie but if if something works it works so what they're doing in china and I know you're aware of this is on your phone right now, you basically have one of three codes. One's like green, which means for whatever reason they say you are safe to go wherever you want. Orange is like your caution, and I'm not, I might have the colors wrong, but it's the same theory. And red means like you're not allowed to go anywhere because you're a threat because you're infected. And I can see something like that being used in the United States. Now, having it be used in the United States 24-7, 365 for 20 years – I don't see that as likely, because people will, people will flip their shit. I mean, one thing people have to like accept, the, the government actually does what we let it do. If 330 million people say, you know, I don't think so, no matter what you want, you're not getting it. You have to have a majority of the monkeys that want to keep everybody else from climbing the pole. And, and And so there's a limit to how far you can push people before you break that. And if you're in an authoritarian society like China, which is – don't think of – people think, well, they're communists since the 1920s or whatever. China has been an authoritarian society for millennia. (laughs) It has never – in fact, there has never been a time China was not an authoritarian society. You have generation upon generation upon generation – I shouldn't should say never. There's never been a time in the last 3,000 years that China wasn't authoritarian. So you have it literally bred into their makeup at this point to, mm-hmm. to tolerate that. The United States is a different place.
0: Yeah.
1: And they, so they have to use a lot more bait to get our people to kind of get in line and follow. But it's it's still strikingly and, and to me very, very uh, dangerously easy to get everybody to line up and walk like a duck in a line. And so yeah. I think you'll see more and more of that. And I can see something like, well, we're opening things back up, but if you want to um, go back to work, that there's some sort of an app or something like that. I think that's very, very possible. As they get into vaccines, I think it's going to have a lot to do with the virus itself. Like, if it just goes away, it's going to be very hard to make that case. If it sticks around, it's going to be a lot easier for them to make that case. And I don't know which one it's going to be yet. I have some varying theories here, and it's, it's difficult to know when you're dealing with something new. Because the one thing I'm glad to hear you not say is, it's all fake, there's no COVID, it's all... Because I've got people telling... People I actually respect telling me that. There is no there is no pandemic. It's all a lie. And I'm like, man, I know some ER doctors that would punch you in the mouth and knock your teeth <laughs> out. like Because they just watched 100 people die in the last two weeks under their care. And, yeah. and they'll knock you the hell out for saying that. There is some... You know, there, this is a real disease. You, you know, you acknowledge that as well, but I, I do wonder how many people have already had it and showed no symptoms. And I think that number is way bigger than 400,000.
2: Yeah. And I appreciate what you're saying. China, as you say, they're just totally conditioned. They haven't had that taste of freedom. Whereas here in the United States, this country was founded on. On revolution. And in China, they had a revolution not too long ago, but it was a communist revolution, which Mm -hmm. created more tyranny in large part or a more sophisticated tyranny. But we do have that strain, especially in certain areas like the South and here in Texas, like there is the prospect of mandatory vaccination or vaccination. And you'd lose privileges if, you, if you're if you not vaccinated. But in places like Texas, that ain't going to happen. And people are afraid and stuff. And that's why you can kind of vote with your feet and get yourself out of Massachusetts, New Jersey, yeah. California, for example, and come to the great state of Texas. Yeehaw. But, uh, you know, I appreciate also what you're saying about there is a lot of people that think it's completely fake. And I think people have just been conditioned to distrust government and media. So now it's like a boy who cried wolf scenario. Yeah. Um, obviously, they're sensationalizing it, and at the end of the day, the mortality rate is going to be far less than what they originally anticipated, especially here in the States. Um, but I think that the solution that the government rolled out for these shelter-ins, they got it all wrong. We see like South Korea, who did the immense testing, which was a huge thing, and unfortunately, we had the FDA and all this regulatory nonsense blocking that, and Trump thankfully has rolled a bunch of that back. But I, I, I waited to take a position because, like, I'm not a public health official. It's just me speculating and sharing my opinion on the internet. But I knew that people were going to freak out because everyone's all hyped up and, like, ratting on their neighbors and stuff because of fear. But I think it would have made so much more sense because we've heard now that 99% of the fatalities in Italy were people that had pre existing conditions. Uh, 86% of the people in China that died had pre existing conditions. Um, So I think a better strategy would have been to shelter in folks that are more susceptible to the virus and then let Mm. the rest of us continue on. And then, you know, I'm not for entitlement programs because I'm a free market anarchist kind of guy, but it would have been a lot easier for the government to help financially those that would have sheltered in because it would have been a pretty big Minority, And then the rest of us, which is this is what Great Britain was starting to do, but they never like made an official policy. They were going to kind of go with uh, let us get herd immunity kind of deal because now I'm seeing these simulations. I just saw one today that was like, look how the virus spreads from a cough in through a supermarket. And it's like all over the place. And there's like this is what happens if you jog past someone and they're sweating and they're breathing around. It's like this thing is highly contagious. And it may not have the mortality rate of SARS or MERS, but because it's so contagious, it could affect more, infect more people. But it's like, like you said, this is probably going to come back. It's like we just need to get over with it, put on our big boy pants, and develop immunity the natural way so we don't have to keep dependent on vaccines and government to take care of everybody. You know, I, I
1: agree with that in principle. Now, in practice, how, what the cost of that is in life is difficult to know. And so the reasoning behind that is, well, they had, you know, pre-existing conditions. Okay, well, pre-existing conditions are diabetes. Okay, we have 4 million of those in America. Yeah. We, and we just, we have, that's one, right? Pre-existing conditions are uh, obesity. Okay, that's like 30% of the American population. Okay, then, now how do we shelter in place an old folks' home that has 300 residents that are in their 80s because somebody has to be on staff there that has to be in and out, right? So I get what you're saying, and if it wasn't for the shit we're seeing in places like New Jersey and New York, in spite of these restrictions, I would kind of say, yeah. And I, I, I and then when you bring up, like, South Korea, okay, that works. But, boy, you know, what we can't gloss over with South Korea You talk about being tracked by an app. You talk about being... But it worked, right? So, like, if you're in South Korea right now, you want to go to the mall. Go to the mall. There's a guy standing there with with a thermometer. And when you go to get in the mall, you know, like, some malls around here, they have security now. You go through and make sure you don't have a gun or something, right? So instead of that, they're like, they shoot you in the head with the thermometer. You have a fever. You're going to the hospital. You're getting tested. And if you... Turn out not to be sick, you go on about your way. And if you're sick, you're going into you know quarantine at some level. That's what South Korea's done. That's how they kept their society. And when you go out, you're wearing a mask. And if you're not wearing a mask, a friendly little government agent's going to come up to you and hand you a mask and tell you, you know, you really need to put this on. <laughs> and it's like he's being nice about it, but it's kind of like, you know, when the mafia guy is nice to you. Right, like I need you to do me a favor. That doesn't actually mean I need you to do me a favor, it means you're doing this or you're wearing cement overshoes.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? That's what the mafia now so the little the little nice Korean military guy that comes up to you and hands you a mask says, You're putting this on or I'm taking you somewhere. Yeah. So that's how South Korea is handled and maybe not quite as draconian in appearance, it's exactly what Taiwan did. Taiwan has like they, Taiwan should be exploded with this. They have almost no problem. So if you want to just like kind of put everybody back to work right away, and I would love to, from what we've seen, this is what goes along with it. Now, the, the whole curve flattening thing, I have one big problem with this. And it's it's the part they say, but they don't say it a lot, and it goes unsaid, and it doesn't make sense to me. And that is when we flatten the curve, over time the same number of people get the infection. We just don't overwhelm the healthcare system. See, this yeah. doesn't make any sense to me because, well, then when we look at the curve in Texas right now, that makes no sense because if that's true, we could have just went on with life in general because the number we're going to have through that whole curve is small. So either social distancing caused that or your theory's bullshit and it's, it doesn't work that way. Or then there's this other thing that I don't I, – and I don't know the answer to this. And I, I don't think they're, they're looking for the answer for this seriously, and they should be. I said during the intro segment today, John, that they should be taking a blood panel of every single person that dies, every single person that ends up on a respirator doesn't die, every single ICU patient, and everybody that ends up in a hospital but not in ICU. And then they should be taking an equal number of sample from everybody that gets sick in kind of the same age group but doesn't go to the hospital. And they need to compare all four of those groups and say, what do their nutrient levels look like? Mm -hmm. Because a doctor will say, well, you're not zinc deficient. Well, that means that you won't get sick under normal circumstances because you have too little zinc. That doesn't mean you're not deficient relative to where you should. That's not optimal. Is it selenium? Is it zinc? Is it, you know, if you look at the aging thing, to me, we really should be looking at b 12 The number one thing that people, even if they eat everything they need to, stop being able to actually take up into their system as they age is B12. That's why you have the old man happy shot. you got an old man, he's miserable, you take him to the CVS, they they pop some B12 into him and he's happy, right? Hmm. Because he's deficient. It's called pernicious anemia. It's incredibly common. Like any doctor, if you said, is it common for people to experience pernicious anemia over the age of 65, would say, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, sure, see it all the time. So, is that why when you're older, you're more, like it's, it's not that older people are just less likely to survive it. They're they're more likely to end up with serious pneumonia or something. So could it be B twelve? I'm not saying it's any of these things. I'm just saying that like if you if the herd immunity thing is happening equally across the country, that the variances maybe could be caused by something that well maybe Texans just in general have a higher load of this nutrient than New Yorkers. I mean, have you been to New York? It's not exactly the healthiest place.
2: There's a lot of pollution, too, in the bigger cities.
1: You know, and then there's things that are outliers, too. Like they're saying right now that African Americans are hit harder and have more fear cases per capita than than whites and um, Hispanics a little bit higher. Okay, great. You know what? Look at the obesity rate in those three uh, demographics. And you'll see the highest one is African Americans. The second highest one is um, Hispanic Americans, and the lowest is white, Caucasian. Now, they're all high, but there's a, it's almost a straight linear, or not linear, like an angled up in a graph, of, especially by age group, especially when you look at 50, 60, 70 years of age, the obesity in African Americans and uh, Hispanic Americans is much higher than Caucasians. It could be that simple. We don't know, but I don't feel like they're looking at it from that standpoint. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, and the Western medicine, like... Doctors that become MDs, they don't really even take classes on nutrition and the whole focus is a reactionary one. That's why I'm always the optimist, not to the point of being naive, but I do feel, I still feel good in light of all this crazy stuff going on about the future prospects for liberty, mainly because we've had a taste of freedom and it's going to be really hard, at least here in the West or the United States to take that away. But I, this whole episode Creates an opportunity for everyone to take a good, hard look at their lifestyle on an individual level and the way that society organizes itself and interacts, and and food production, centralized preservatives, all sorts of chemicals and toxins. And like you said, yeah, these, a lot of these pre-existing conditions—not all of them, but many of the pre-existing conditions that could be leading to being more susceptible to dying from this virus—are preventable through healthy lifestyle choices, exercise, diet, getting out in the sun, getting some vitamin D, eating right, not depending on pharmaceuticals all the time for everything, right? Now, there's a time and a place, of course, but I think this presents an opportunity, not only when it comes to how we organize ourselves as a society, and like I said before, the powers that be, never let a good crisis go to waste. Well, I think we freedom lovers – and people that grow their own food and, and use self-defense measures to protect themselves. Like we have an opportunity too to come out and say, Hey, a lot of this stuff has failed because specifically of the way society is so centralized, top down. Everyone depends on their doctor for their health issues. And we can come out and, and set an example and provide some information and advice on how things differently. And one of those things is a better diet and dietary supplementation for those things that aren't found in the healthy diet as well.
1: Well, and you're also kind of hitting on quite a bit there, federalism, right? So you and I both would prefer a stateless society. And people have asked me like, well, what would we do right now? Everybody would die. I'm like, I think if (laughs) if we had a stateless society right now, you would have the choice, You would have, like, there would be places you can go and just, like, if you want to die of COVID, you could go spray yourself with a can of it and see if you can survive. And there would be places that, like, you can't get in without being screened. And you would have that choice and freedom of movement within that choice because we would actually respect private property. Exactly what it would look like, I don't know. But I believe we could probably find a lot of solutions and probably find a big solution much faster. So, but that's irrelevant because we don't have... A stateless society. I mean, you and I would agree, we want this, but it's not what we have, so we have to deal with what we do have. Federalism creates degrees of oppression, less and more. States like Texas, I think have done, and I think you'd agree, Texas has done a much better job of being reasonable about how we deal with this. Even with the stay-at-home order that we have right now, If you're not being stupid, no one bothers you. Like, I've heard reports in Connecticut, Tennessee, Kentucky of people like being stopped and asked, like, where are you going? What are you doing? Stuff like that during this. Where, you know, unless you're, you know, spitting on each other in a group of 20, I don't think (laughs) – a Texas sheriff deputy doesn't have time to to worry about the fact that he saw you drive your car down the road. So – it seems like we've been a lot more sane about it, and we seem like we've done a pretty good job. If you look at the numbers in Texas compared to any other state approaching the population, it's it's a home run of success. And I think Texas is the kind of state that would be like, eh, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> uh, yeah. it, the, the, the people behind the Texas nationalist movement actually think this might hasten the potential for Texas, right? Maybe. I don't know. I'm all for it if we do it. But <laughs> – The bigger thing in this, the federal government has restricted almost nothing in this. Yeah. They put a bunch of money out, right, and they put a bunch of guidance out. Every restriction an American lives under right now, unless you're in D.C., because technically D.C. is all federal, any other state you live in right now, any restriction you're under was done by a county commissioner, a county judge, a a state governor, a state lieutenant. You see what I'm saying? Like every restriction – that's in place right now was done at the state or at a lower level and people need to realize that that it's not necessarily in this in this country the federal government that's the big threat to freedom of movement type liberty they have a different way they threaten liberty but when it comes to your movement your restrictions and the total police power the states have far more broad powers than the federal government the federal government actually steps in at times and goes n- n- no You you can't do that. Like with religious liberties, they've said, you want to close churches, fine, but you can't close them disproportionately. Uh, Barr, I'm not a huge fan of him either, but he recently slapped down, I think, two different states with that. Like, okay, you want to say that any business like a church is closed? Sure. You want to say that churches are and these other businesses aren't? No. I think he used the term jaw-slapped in his interview. We jaw-slapped them. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and you got to give credit to people even when you don't like when they do the right thing. So people need to realize their states are the problem here. And, yeah, walking to freedom is a huge thing that you can do in a republic.
2: Yep, and we mentioned this on Facebook how, you know, it's like a bizarre world where we're praising Trump all of a sudden. <laughs> but I do appreciate how he's handled or or hasn't handled, hasn't done anything when it comes to national lockdowns. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to bring up how there's been so much fake news and like oh God. people are just buying stuff so easily. Like remember the wave of text messages and my cousins, uncles, roommates, neighbor <laughs> who works with FEMA or yeah. the DHS yeah. or the White House and yeah. the national lockdown is coming. Get where you're going to stay yeah, yeah, for yeah. the next several months. The national lockdown's coming. There were like two or three waves of this and each time – because I've been watching every Trump press conference – I know that the media eats him alive anytime he has the slightest flip-flop or shift. And yeah. they rolled out their steps to slow the spread, yeah. which, like you said, they were all suggestions. And they yeah. were good suggestions, too, that if people are concerned about this and it's so contagious, we ought to be following these steps. Yep. And I knew that he wasn't going to lose face putting this out, and he was at least going to wait for his first deadline before they made any changes. And sure enough, no national lockdown came. And conversely, Trump, as you said, is even mentioning states' rights, which is like more power to him. This is an idea that is completely foreign to most people. People don't even know what the heck the Tenth Amendment is, for example. And it's not the federal government's power. Now, if this was a Democrat in office or a non-Trump Republican, I bet they would have taken advantage of the opportunity and done everything that they can and pushed the bounds of the Constitution. But I definitely appreciate Trump. Uh, taking this more relaxed, more federalist approach. And he has a good point. He says, you know, in middle America, there aren't very many cases. So why would we lock down at the federal level, at the national level, these states that are just comfortably rolling through it? And a lot of people don't realize that the states, people say like, well, that's unconstitutional. The states don't have a whole lot of prohibitions when it comes to what they can do constitutionally they can pretty much roll out a whole lot of tyranny and as long as it doesn't violate the bill of rights which i guess due process and the fifth amendment could be brought up but yeah it's it's cool how we're seeing the trumpster and i'm actually glad that it's him in office instead of hillary because um, i think this would be a whole different ball game at least at the federal level with the federal response
1: I, I don't know that she could even figure out what to do i i mean really i think it would be very very oppressive but i also think it would be very disordered and I, I mean i I have never been happier that she's not our president, during this. I, I really... Now, like, you were talking about the, the, the text messages and rumors and stuff. Here's two examples that were credible as to the source, but sounded stupid anyway. And, and what this means is that rumors can travel through legitimate... like when I say legitimate I mean exist real organizations cuz legitimate I don't think you know like DHS is legitimate as they should not have the authority so I don't mean it that way. <laughs> but you you get what I mean like so Sure. one of my one of my friends actually it's my my nephew and his wife have a good friend that works for DHS. And they contacted us about four weeks ago. They're going to lock, they're saying shit. They're going to lock down the whole country. They're going to do it Tuesday. Yeah, we know from the inside. And I know the guy they're talking to. I know exactly who he is. He's exactly who they say he is. He really does work for DHS. And I'm still going, not happening. No. Cause it doesn't make any sense. Another contact that I've had since almost day one of this show, trust the guy implicitly, has a guy that works for the railroad commission in his state pretty high up says they're going to lock the railroad down and stop even railroad traffic and lock the state down border to border, you know, Monday. And this is like, you know, on a Tuesday, so next week. It's going to take that long to do it. And I told the guy, I said, you're going to need a new source of information because this is not going to happen because this literally makes no sense. This is the safest, easiest way to move freight and feed people. They're not going to lock. Now, what they might have done is they might have stopped all passenger travel through the state. Maybe I don't know, but they weren't going to shut down the railroad in the middle of a pandemic when you're trying to move freight. Yeah, like that doesn't even make any sense. And it was those were examples of it wasn't somebody's you know college former roommate from Spaceballs, (laughs) right? It was these are legitimate people that really work for who they say they work for, and that's the kind of danger in these rumor mills. And it's also the kind of thing that leads to the Tin Hat people go completely f all nuts. And then, the, see, I think a lot of times, like, the, the, the complete extremist conspiracy theorists, they're like useful idiots to the government. Because remember what I said earlier about they take the extreme position and then it looks moderate when they settle on what you would have never been okay with in the first place? What if you have a whole group of people that act completely independent from you, that occasionally you can stoke their fire a little bit, that do it for you and make YouTube videos about the world being flat, among other things, and then you can see moderate compared to that. So they were all convinced, and then all of a sudden, well, well, all we have to do is stay home. You see what I mean? Like, I think that gets done all the time, and it's the, the hidden hand is really, instead of having to do all these elaborate conspiracies, it's just a fundamental understanding of human nature and the way people react, and then we know what move to take next on the chessboard to force the pawn to this place that we can take it with our rook. It's much more simple than people make it out to be. The more complex a conspiracy and the more people you need to have involved in it, the, the more ridiculous it is that you can pull it off. A, a good conspiracy has three people that know the truth. Anything more than that, and it's not going to stay secret for long. You see what I mean?
2: Yeah, and, and they they well they do use the tactic of, uh, of a compartmentalization. Yep. It's like you only know what you need to know so the top levels know the full-on plan, and then the rest of the people are just useful idiots, and That is a threat, too. Like, there are do-good politicians and do-good bureaucrats that really don't have a care in the world for freedom or individual liberty, and they're all about safety, and that's the role of government, keeping people safe. But there are competing interests, and that was a big eureka that I had when I used to think it was all a conspiracy. But it's like, no, there's competing interests, and Trump, I think, represents a competing interest, a different factor of the establishment, and he's really thrown – a re- like I said before throwing a wrench in their gears and I can appreciate that and then him like everyone has their own self-interest too like I'm judging a lot of his actions on obviously he's coming up for re-election and he wants to get the economy going again um, and so maybe that's informing a lot of his decisions but I'd like to think that he's somewhat genuine in wanting to save people's lives like he's not going to yeah. make money and he doesn't have any interest in the whole chloroquine thing and it just gets me so frustrated to see how the media – it's so obvious to <laughs> yeah, see that him one, man. him over so, and over. So what they're saying
1: now is somewhere in Trump's investments, he owns a mutual fund that holds corporations as one of the stocks that make chloroquine. You know what my response to that is? So does 90 percent of America because sooner or later somewhere in your mutual funds is bear, right? I mean, come on. Can we, yeah. can we back off the orange man derangement syndrome – for just a second. And that's not really a defense of the guy individually because, like you said, he has his own self-interest and all. But I think the guy honestly is trying to save lives. Um, I, I, I don't think he's the evil, maniacal, trying-to-run-the-world person. Because if you want to run the world, you're better off being a billionaire, not in government. Like, the president is not what you want to be. Like, it's easier to buy politicians than to be one. That's why that's what most billionaires do. Um, but there's something you said there that on the macro, talk, it shows the swing that I'm talking about of people controlling themselves. You said the government supposed to keep us safe. I think back to when I was like seven, eight years old and I was growing up in the, in the coal region of Pennsylvania. And my grandfather would take me to bars, which was, it's still common there. Like a neighborhood bar in Pennsylvania is not like a bar in Texas where people go party. Like they are literal hubs of uh, of social structure. Kids are in bars all the time. There's a little hole in the wall bars. And all these old coal miners that sit around, they buy me ginger ale and buy me pistachios out of the machine. And I think about that group of people. And I think about if somebody walked in that bar and said, hey, guys, I just figured out the role of government is to keep us safe. The silence you would have heard in that bar, instant silence that some lunatic had walked in and said something like that would have been it could it, it would have been completely unnerving. and I the person that said it would have felt pain, from hatred, from energy from the eyeballs of these old men. They would have looked at him like he was the most insane human. What are you talking about to keep us safe? Now these were people that were immensely patriotic. Love their country. They were all veterans. They'd all worked their ass off in coal mines for most of their, their life, other than when they were in military service. They all, be, you know, they believed in the patriotism of America that I don't believe in because I've seen so much of what government can do. And they still would have looked at you like, you have got to be insane. There's some things we have to do for us. No, we keep ourselves safe. The government keeps us safe in the standpoint of they keep the Russians from invading. Huh. But, like, if you would have told them they were supposed to keep us safe on a daily basis from the things that are out there, they would have never accepted that. And here we are a generation later, and that's one of the most common phrases you hear, and nobody even questions it.
0: Yeah. And well, that, to be,
2: to that, be clear, that, I don't think that. I, don't I think understand. Of, I, I understand. Keep us safe. I just want to clear that up. Yeah.
1: No, I get it. I'm just kind of pointing out how how society changed,
2: right? Yeah. So what do you think the biggest impact on our economy is going to be from all this? Well, there are a lot of impacts on a on a meta level. I'm I'm hoping that although maybe it just needs to get over with. I'm hoping that this doesn't lead to the the correction that's been kicked down the road so many times before. Like I got into survivalism back in 2006 and really I rested on my laurels. So I'm grateful that this has got me back into the garden, for example, and storing food. But back then I was like this is when I was in still freak out mode and martial law mode. And I would tell my dad, like, hey, you need to get your money out of the stock market and the, there's going to be an economic collapse. It's going to lead to a societal collapse, dad. And he would say, John, I can go up in the attic. And he, this is how he talks. John, I could go up in the attic and, and get a copy of a book that says How to Profit from the Upcoming Collapse. It was written in 1978. And at first I was like, "Wow, well, you know, that's a good point. Maybe I'm <laughs> overthinking it a bit or just sensationalizing. Maybe I'm watching too much Alex Jones. But I realized – upon further economic understanding of business cycles and the Austrian School of Economics that it's actually been the whole – it's all been the same collapse. It's just been delayed and prolonged through injections of trillions of dollars through the discount window, bailouts during the housing crisis. Now we have bailouts for all the banks and bailouts of the American public. And so you can only engage in this economic chicanery, funny money fraud – even Trump saying that we have this great economy, the economy's so great, the, the stock market's doing so great. That's all based on fraud when you have $24 trillion in debt, deficit spending constantly, and you still rely on the Federal Reserve to inject into the economy. So I think on a meta level, one of the big things can be that there was so much money injected that we could finally have this huge correction that's been delayed. On a smaller level, I think we're going to see – and we have power. We have the control over whether this plays out or not. But I think we're going to see a shift where mom-and-pop stores, the local grocer, uh, the local shop is going to shutter and perhaps not be able to make it through this shelter-in economy, whereas the Walmarts – And the larger companies that are getting even more bailouts and that have more cash reserves and that are multinational corporations, for example, they are going to survive. So I'm hoping that's not what the case is. And I posted on Facebook before I got banned again for the second time in three months that this is probably going to happen. But we have the ability, anytime we're going to buy something, try to shop local, buy online with those mom-and-pop stores. So I think we're going to be seeing a shift, and and if we're empowered and if we vote with our dollars – Hopefully, it doesn't have the impact that I suspect it will.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that actually it's going to create a lot of opportunity. I I, the, I, was the big school of thought that the whole Federal Reserve System would fall apart for years and years and years. And what I realize now is so you pump $2 trillion into an economy like this. When you look at the M3, it's not like pumping $2 trillion into this economy in 1945. In fact, if you pump a bunch of money into an economy that goes to pay off debt, you just dump dirt in a hole. So the the, the side that people miss with economic breakdown, you know, runaway inflation, etc is there's two pieces to it. There's a, people think of inflation as it's the mon, how much money there is. That's only one piece of it. Monetary velocity is the piece that everybody loses sight of. What actually causes inflation in a society like ours, based on fractional reserve, is the speed at which the money moves and multiplies. So if you put a bunch of money into an economy that's dead, you're not going to get a massive inflation spike out of it because there's nowhere for it to go or multiply. So you know this, like when the bank loans you $200,000 to buy a house, they don't give you $200,000. They write a new blank check for two hundred thousand dollars on your promise to pay it back. So that that two hundred thousand dollars is brand new money. It, the fractional reserve doesn't work like since I have a million dollars, I can loan out nine hundred thousand and hold the ten percent reserve. It's since I have a million dollars, I can write a check for nine million dollars and hold a million in reserve. That's that's how that works. It's a it's a reverse system. So when you take a, a society like we have right now and you pump two trillion dollars into it. It doesn't really do much right away. Now, long-term, once everything starts running again, it's a very fine line of how do you pull that money back out. And I think the game the Federal Reserve's playing with their balance sheet right now, and I can't prove this, but my gut on this is really strong. About the time the Dow hits about $20,000, the Fed is directly buying securities and stocks to create a false floor to the stock market. So what they're going to do as they're going to sell it all back slowly as it comes up. They've got to do it slowly or they reverse crash it again. Now, how this all plays out, we'll have to see. But I think what makes me excited about the economy is, in the end, a monetary system is a way to keep score. That's all that it is. And all this money we supposedly owe... It's never getting paid back. It's not supposed to be paid back. It's not going to get paid back. When it was $10 trillion, like, oh, my God, if it ever gets to $20 trillion, we're going to die. And now it's $20 trillion. And nothing really changed. And one day, you know what? It'll be $500 trillion. I'll probably be dead by then. Maybe not. I don't know. But it will be. And they'll either have a new system that they'll create or they'll just keep doing it. And it'll take $100 to buy a hot dog, but you'll make... You know, minimum wage will be uh, five hundred dollars an hour. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. Like this is how this th- they've yeah. done this for over a hundred and twenty years. What's already gonna, happened? They're going to keep doing it. I, I don't even care. I care. How do we capitalize on whatever's here? Yes. So I think that when I look at this, I go, Jesus, this is a great time to go into the business of growing food, because now you can be in your neighborhood that's down the street from a HOA full of Karens and Kyles, right? You know the Karen meme, right? So the Karens are yeah. all down there. <laughs> and you could have went and talked to all those Karens back in November and said, Hey, Karens, uh, we're starting a little micro-CSA for $35 or $50 a week. You can get this box. Here's what it's going to look like. Your order will change. In fact, I'm not even bringing it to you, Karen. You have to bring your Karen ass to my farm. And you can pick it up, and I'm going to have this website portal. And you can you know, say you want one or not want one 48 hours ahead of Saturdays. And you can condense that all into like a two-hour time window and say yeah. all the Karens and Kyles have to come during that 2 hour. If you would have went and proposed that back in November, you would have got some Karens and Kyles that would have been like, yeah, that's kind of cool. But most of them would have said, I- I'll go to the store. I go to Whole Foods, right? Yeah. Go do that when this ends. You'll have a waiting list of Karens that want yeah. to have – because all of a sudden, the idea that I could have been well-fed through this whole thing – And all I had to do was go down the road to a farm instead of standing in line at Walmart. All of a sudden, that's appealing. If you start, you know, like if you have the space and you're doing grass-fed beef right now, it's it's harder than you think to sell people on taking a quarter or a half beef or whatever. I bet you you could go and throw $200 on a chest freezer right from Lowe's without even doing a wholesale buy when this is over and sell the guy the freezer and the beef. Like, and there's going to be a hundred little businesses like that for people to go into, which means there's going to be a whole bunch of people lose their jobs, sit on their ass, and not know what to do and say there's nothing they can do. But there's going to be an equal number of people that are going to look at all these little niches and they're going to capitalize. And I think you're going to see a radical restructuring of the economy at the micro level. Yeah. The, the gig economy has been hit from a standpoint of Uber and Lyft, but all those guys are now delivering DoorDash. Yep. We did uh, We did takeout from on the border on Sunday just to treat ourselves. I go in. There's three tables set up, DoorDash um, and two other. I can't remember the other ones. Uh, Uber, Uber eats, eats and one yeah. other one. And so they're not even talking to the people that drive. They just put the orders on the table. Since it's already paid for, they go and pick it up. And I'm like, you know, how are you guys doing? I talked to the manager there that gave me my food, and he said – I've never seen anything like this in all these years but I have about you know twenty percent of my workforce just making food and like he says you know for the headcount we're doing we're doing fine and so like okay now how many people that do this during this are gonna go you know what uber eats ain't half bad hmm. I kind of like being able so how much gig economy expansion is there going on right now um you know, personal shopping services would be another – like, there's going to be – like, I actually see that being – like, Instacart kind of is that right now, but somebody can do that better, where you put yeah. your order in, somebody goes and gets your shit and brings it to your house. How many how many grocery stores are, that never did deliveries are doing them now, and will keep yeah. doing them? Like, that's going to transform the economy. That means cashiers are out of jobs. But people that go load the carts up, that's a different job. That's actually a more efficient supermarket or a more efficient Walmart. Have you ever been to Walmart and seen, like, 20 guys sitting around with their thumb up their ass? <laughs> Let me tell you what, they're not doing that right now. No. Nope. No, because it's like, hey, go fill orders. So I, there's like, there's, every time there's something rips an economy apart, because people don't sit around and, like, what, what do you say when somebody does the Morodes argument, right? Like, okay, yeah, we're all just going to sit here. There's going to be a store there in my house here, but we'll all be like, well, oh, I wish I could get there. Like, nobody would build a road if it wasn't for government. When this ends, it's not like everybody's going to sit around and go, well, you know, screw it. It was a good run. I'm not going to do anything now. People are going to want to go out. They're going to want to do things, and they're going to rebuild. Think about, like, the 1920s were one of the biggest boom times in America. Unfortunately, it ended in the Great Depression, but they were. What happened at the beginning of the 1920s? Spanish flu pandemic. Mm, Yep. I mean, so people need to start seeing more of that long-term you know cycle here and less of the end there's no end in a cycle there's yeah like you could see bad shit coming but then there's always like people put things back together and go on with life they don't just end that's why we prepare if things were going to end i would just freaking jump off a building right like you know if things are just going to end the people at the end times people it's the end times well it was a good run you might as well drink a beer and wait for the the sky to light up or something, then, right? Drink twelve beers. Drink twelve beers. Play some chess with your kids while the you know while it ends. Do something like that. If unless a, unless a meteor hits us, or we get something like that has like the death rate of like the black plague that that moves like this, society's going to go on. It's just going to. How do you take advantage of the shift? I'm yeah. buying stuff. I, I'm very close to buying my dream pickup truck because it has a sticker price of forty-seven grand, and I got the guy down to thirty without leaving the house yet. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's a deflation effect right now, so there's all kinds of opportunities. But I think when I talk this way, the problem is, John. People think that I'm saying everything's going to be super. No, I'm saying there's going to be a lot of suck. It's up to you to find the opportunity.
2: That's right. Yeah, I just leased a car and got a great deal yeah. and was treated like a king going in to the dealership. But yeah, like I was saying, there's going to be a shift, but there's also an opportunity. And earlier in the month when this all started really picking up steam, I shared uh, four tips. I put out a video. I called it Four Tips to Survive and Thrive fin- Financially in Coronavirus mm-hmm. Times. And uh, the first one was to take advantage of the opportunity. Everyone's sheltered in. We're spending a lot of time at home. And rather than binge-watching Netflix, and I have binge-watched The Tiger King, for example, but I'm literally putting in – when my kids are with their mom, I'm putting in 12-hour days of work and really growing my business right now. And for people that are out of work or even if you're in work, now's the opportunity to learn new skills, to find a mentor – to binge-watch YouTube videos on self-development or increasing your sales skills, to purchase some online courses, to do little Zoom meetings with your colleagues and see how we can grow through this. Because like you said, yeah, this isn't the end. This is just a stage in the cycle. And whenever the economy gets back going, whenever people are allowed to go outdoors again, either you're going to be in a worse situation Or arguably if you did nothing, you'll be in a worse situation or you can position yourself where you come out of this and you've are you been like swinging a bat with the weights on it and you come out of it with the weights off and you're just ready to knock them out of the park. And then the second tip was if you are still employed, now is the time to make yourself indispensable to your employer. And I think about my girlfriend and the role that she's played. She lives in a tiny home community. They gave her a tiny home to live in. She's the sales manager at this really cool intentional community tiny home place. They're not all like free thinkers like we are, but it's a really cool experimental community here in Austin. And she has made herself indispensable to the point where the CEO of the national company – it's a huge national company. It's just one of their projects. He's sending her little nice grams hmm. about how great she's doing, and she literally turned the project around when they are having some – Big problem. So people's employment is still vulnerable. But if you go in there and you're literally bringing in new leads and you're solving problems and you're going above and beyond your job description, then when it comes time to cut the budget and perhaps lay people off, you need to be in a position where your employer is going to think twice about letting you go. And then what you were just saying, the third tip was to follow the money. Find ways to add value to your fellow human beings during what I call the shelter-in economy. Uber Eats is a perfect example. People are doing online activities, online courses. There's a resurgence in health. People are paying attention to their health now. Um, that's why my business, MyBraveBotanicals.com, and then I recently – Took advantage of the opportunity and launched Brave Health Store, which has products that are geared towards the coronavirus times like natural hand sanitizer, immune boosting herbs, and vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc. Um, I launched that store for the first time. I had in the back of my mind I wanted to expand and get into more products besides Kratom and CBD. And the opportunity was right. I followed the money. I saw that there was shortages of hand sanitizer, for example. So I partnered with the doctor, and I've been going to gas stations and selling cases of hand sanitizer because it's gone. There's opportunity out there. And then the fourth tip is something I get from this guy, Grant Cardone, that I follow who's – he's all about it. He's got the mindset where it's like, I don't care if it was made in a lab, if it's a bioweapon, if it's all natural. I don't care. The question is what am I going to do about it to protect my family to come out of this ahead? And he has the whole concept of 10X, 10X your goals, 10X what you expect the work to be to accomplish your goals, 10X your marketing budget, 10X your workout, 10X the valuable time you spend with your loved ones. And it's also like now's the time that we need to – 10x our expectation of what it takes to survive because this is a big eye opener for people that are living paycheck to paycheck for people that have employment where they are dispensable. It, we can't do this anymore. We can't be so vulnerable for our family. Um, we need to grow our income. We need to make sure that we. Are resilient when it comes to our financials, when it comes to how we live our life, with the garden in the back, for example, with the storable food. This is an opportunity to rethink how we've been living, not only individually, but collectively as well, and really just 10x the output, 10x the input, and 10x the output. So when this happens again, whether it's a terrorist attack, natural disaster, or coronavirus comes back next year, we need to be prepared to weather the storm and Come out, not only just survive, but thrive through it all.
1: I completely agree with every single word of that. And I mean, what I was saying recently on an episode was that, like, people have been asking, "Why are you so calm during this?" Well, number one, being freaked out won't increase my chances of doing well for myself. Being freaked out won't increase my chances of survival. If you're in a building that's on fire, the no matter how bad it is, the last thing you need to do is freak out. If you freak out, you can't think. Yeah. Right. But the other side of it is, there's so much opportunity. And, and, and adding to that, I, it doesn't matter. What, I See, I've never been big on preparing for a specific thing. I've always said pandemic is probably the one that is most likely, but it doesn't matter why, it matters that. So the fact that we might be stuck in our home for 60 days, I've been prepared to be stuck in my home for 60 days <laughs> for a decade and a half. Yeah. I, it, the fact that it happens to be a pandemic is irrelevant to why I'm here. I've always said you bug in when your chances of survival go up by bugging in. So, I don't want the government to tell me to bug in. I don't want the government to tell me to bug in either, but I'm going to do it whether they tell me to or not right now. Mm -hmm. It's the best thing for me, and I have the ability to do so. But what you were talking about there, like 10Xing and all, I do a quote of the day, and this was the one from yesterday. Usually it's somebody famous or something, some author or scientist or whatever. This is some dude I have no idea who he is. He's some random guy on Twitter named Anwar Douglas. You've probably even seen the screenshot of this going around, but he's what he said about the quarantine. He says, if you don't come out of this quarantine with, one, a new skill set, two, your side hustle started, or three, more knowledge, you never lack time, you lack discipline.
2: Yeah, I shared that one. It's a good one.
1: And it's so true right now there's so much opportunity. I'm putting in more food production systems and all. I've taken shit from people for years like you're more the gardening podcast than a survival podcast and I almost I I don't I don't have this side of my um you know personality very close to the surface but there's a big part of me that wants to be like how do you like me now? <laughs> right? Because like people are like I can't even get a head of lettuce I'm, I I, was, I did a video this morning. I'm like, look at all the stupid food I have to eat. It won't stop growing. <laughs> I got food growing. I didn't even plant it. You know, I got, like, beds I haven't planted yet. They're full of lettuce and dill and nasturtium and all this stuff that just, like, came back on its own from last year. Yeah. And, like, this is, like, this is survivalism, being able to feed yourself. A generator, a couple chest freezers, and a garden are the number one things that have made me not even give a flying shit through this now i care about other people i've been like you i've been working harder at my podcast my media stuff than i have at any time in the past five years and not so much because i want to grow it because of a sense of obligation like this is my time to help people you know yeah. um but other by for myself I, I, you know jack stay at your stay in your farm that you've spent the last seven years making into a paradise you stay there and you don't leave Okay. (laughs) Stay away from people. I think most people are assholes anyway. Fine. I mean, like, I've been preparing for this my whole life. Before I was a prepper, I was preparing to stay home and stay away from people. I don't like people, you know? And I don't mean I don't like people in general. I don't like crowds of people anyway. I don't like to be around people that I don't know. So, okay, yeah, I'll stay home. And I think that, like, if we can, like, that's the other side of this. I think there's a huge opportunity in the whole world of preparedness coming. Yeah. Because for the first time the world has had to deal with something in the life of an adult that's around right now like there might be there might be some people that remember the spanish flu pandemic or great depression still left you know what they were like 5 when it was going on and a 5 year old remembers things differently than a 40 year old like this is going to change everything in mindset and i don't think everybody's going to be a magic prepper overnight but boy the 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 message you and I have been teaching for a long time, there's going to be a lot more people open to it. Yeah. A lot more people. So what is what is the opportunity there? You know, and the hand sanitizer, that's what I call like an immediate opportunity. Like, you capitalized on that, great. My son, he works for like a safety company that does like installs of like safety cabinets and all. So they're essential. So he's still working. They sold $12,000 worth of hand sanitizer to their existing customers yesterday. Wow. Not this week, yesterday. And they've got one of their suppliers that they have a long-term relationship with. It's prioritizing them and making it as fast as they can for them. But that's that's an immediate. Like, what's the long-term opportunity? The long-term opportunity is going to be expanding your customer base for them by saying, when our customers needed us, we were there. Now, since they're much smaller than their giant competitor, they can't possibly get enough supply to do it. It's disingenuous, but boy, it's a good marketing message, isn't it? Yeah. Right? So, like, we got to be thinking this combination. How do I make the money now? Now, how do I reinvest it into the long term? Because you're not going to always be able to sell $12,000 worth of sanitizer a day. Like, there will come a point where you filled the hole and now you got to do something else. So, how do you make those two go together, man? And people need to be thinking like that right now because. I remember people making fortunes in the 70s, which was like the shittiest economy we ever had in my adult lifetime. And when I think back to that, I go, today, you got the internet, you got the gig economy, you got the marketing you can do through the internet, you've got social media, you've got the ability to learn anything overnight. I'm like, man, the, what's about to come up is one of the greatest opportunities in history. And that's not to say there won't be grief, because, like, The the virus, like, think about this, John. You were talking about pre-existing conditions. There's a lot of old people that are dying of this. Within 12 months or less, they would have been dead anyway. That's And that's from epidemiologists, right? They say that, like, a lot of these people were going to get taken out or just die of natural causes within 6 to 12 months anyway. But the virus hastened it. And if that's your loved one, I don't mean to make light of it. That sucks that you lost that two or three more months you could have had with them. I, I, I not doubt, but it's true. A lot of businesses that are going to die from this, they were going to be dead in one to two years anyway.
0: Mm.
1: They were rotting fruit on the vine, and all this did was a virus infected the vine and caused the fruit to drop faster. Macy's is a perfect example. They furloughed everybody. Oh, we're going to hire everybody back in June. No, you're not. No, you're not. Now, there'll be some stores. There'll be Macy's online or whatever. But there's a, like there was a whole bunch of Macy's stores that by, I would say, January of 2021, we're going to be gone when when one more Christmas didn't save them, sure. right? They had so all so they they go out of business seven months early. Does that change the macro? It sucks for all the people who lose their job, and now you're in a sector that's in decline, and you're trying to find a job where you have one skill set, running a cash register or stocking a shelf, you know, or answering questions for customers that is being replaced by automation. It sucks for that segment, but okay. What? And I don't have the an answer for what I'm about to say. But what opportunity is that open? There's something. I don't know what it is, but there's something in that sector that is a new opportunity for the right person.
2: Yeah. It's like a sh- the economy shifting from a want economy to a need economy. And certain industries are being shaken out, like the whole thing with essential, right? Uh, the, it's the essential businesses that are remaining. And I don't know, perhaps with all the Economic funny money and the easy money and the discount window and the low interest rates. Perhaps the economy was able to grow propped up by industries that aren't necessary, right? That's not to say that we shouldn't have a travel industry and and for people that have expendable income, it's great to go on the cruise and such, but I think it's going to be shifting towards a need economy. And when I mentioned that first tip to grow your skills, like if someone loses a job at the movie theater or whatever, Now's the time to go learn how to be a plumber or mm-hmm. learn how to grow food, like you said, and do a CSA, electrician. Electrician. Like I have a friend from high school, man, the electrician, he's making bank, and he's doing nice, luxurious homes and stuff. Like, Find a skill that can weather any economic storm or any crisis, something that's always going to be needed, and now's that opportunity.
1: Yeah, I just got socked for a big check to uh, have a new pressure tank put in by a plumbing company and it was something I could have probably saved about four hundred dollars and done myself. In the middle of this shit, just I, all I said when the guy gave me the price was, "Oh, I hate that. Go do it." <laughs> like, like and so that you know they made money, and they, it didn't actually take them long because if you've done something a thousand times, you can do it quickly and efficiently, right? So they made their money. They're plumbers, and you know we we have you know all the Karen telling little Johnny and little Susie. You don't want to be a plumber. You don't want to be a welder. You don't want to be an electrician. Right now you kind of do. And I find it interesting yeah. that a lot of people that have these highfalutin jobs that thought they were so important are sitting at home collecting unemployment and an 18-, 16-, 17-year-old kid is stocking shelves at Walmart and he's essential. Yeah. That, that's that's an interesting dynamic playing out. Um, what what would you tell somebody that is out of work right now? I mean, we've been kind of talking a lot of, about that, but you know, someone that does think I'm going to be going back to work in – Two months, you know, they they just look at the projections as bad as they made it out. All this talk of 18 months, it's all bullshit. You can look at the resource utilization. Uh, I put a website up today for people where you can see the different states. And even like New York has passed its peak resource use. And so they're getting money, right? And they're getting like unemployment plus the federal bailout money. Some of them are making more than they ever were. Should (laughs) Should they just sit around? Should they really think, hey, I know I'm going back to work or should they think it'd be nice if I do? What should they be doing? Should they be looking at these other opportunities?
2: Yeah, there's never been a better chance to have a side hustle, to go ahead and set up that side hustle, whether it's doing Uber Eats on after work or on, on non-work times or setting up some sort of online business or entrepreneurship. Like I said before, Like, I've been self-employed in one form or another since 2009. The last real job I had was selling cars, and then I worked part-time as the drive-through teller at a credit union. But since then, I've been on my own, running a business, getting paid to do political activism, or starting nonprofits. And, you know, it's, it's been hard. And for a good majority of that time, I was living in total poverty. And it's whenever I finally got tired of living in poverty, mainly because I didn't want my kids to grow up in poverty, that I really took entrepreneurship seriously. And thankfully, just really the past year or so, has where I've finally seen the other side and the hard work has paid off. But back to that guy Grant Cardone I was talking about, he talks about how the goal for the longest time in America was to get to the middle class. And there was like this glorious place to be, a middle class American. But- When it all comes down to it, middle class, like everyone's living paycheck to paycheck. Very few Americans have savings. You're just one emergency away from going back to poverty, Uh, whether it's a car accident, family member gets cancer or you get furloughed from work or we have this pandemic crisis. So whether you have a job that you're going to be able to return to or not, especially if you have children and a family to look after, we really got to be thinking of what can we do? To grow and to go beyond the middle class. So we have significant savings. So we have significant investments that are producing passive income um, in industries and markets that are more resilient. Like back, you know, not to champion this guy Grant, but I love everything he's saying. He's been my latest guru, and he's allowed me to 4X my business revenue since February last year. He's got the whole 10X thing. I'm on my way to 10X. Hmm. But he talks about um, a good investment being apartment rentals, right? Because a lot of people are taking a hit, true. But when this is all over, people are going to be paying rent again. And some people are going to be downsizing out of the single family house into an apartment. So just finding opportunities to have that passive income and really, it's just, like I said before, it's a big eye opener. So even if you're going back to the job that, you know, the accounting job or whatever, I guess people can still do accounting from home. If if you, you feel confident you're going back to the job, I would just challenge people to really take stock of of how vulnerable they are, how much they had in the bank coming into this, the assets that they had coming into this, the income from passive uh, passive income that they had going into this, and really just try to accelerate your efforts not only after this, but start prepping. Start like imagine. Um, Right now, the NFL and all of the major league sports, they are out. of. Uh, they're not playing games right now. There's been talk of them coming back, doing it in empty stadiums and broadcasting mm-hmm. it, right, which would be a nice treat for people that like sports and are stuck at home. But you can bet your bottom that the, the best athletes, the best of the best, maybe even most of them, if they're professionals, they are still training. Oh, you as bet your they ass they are. Tomorrow. Yes. And we need to have that same mindset as though right when we come back into the workforce, it's the Super Bowl, and we've been prepping this whole time, and we're going to come out bigger, better, and stronger than ever.
1: See, I think this whole idea of I want to be in the middle class, the problem with it is it's a destination instead of part of the path. See, I've I've been poor, and when I say poor, I mean freaking poor. I've been getting by lower class, you know, I've been bottom of the middle class. I've been middle of the middle class. I've been the upper middle class. And I would say, based on income and assets and all, that today I would be considered affluent. Let me tell you what. Affluent beats the shit out of every single piece of the middle <laughs> class. You know, Affluent is why when I take a trip, I'm like, I'm paying for first class. Do you know why? It's ten times better than not paying for it. It only costs twice as much. As soon as you get to a certain level of a means – that's where your mind goes. And by the way, since I'm going to ride it off and not pay taxes, I'm going to pay less taxes <laughs> anyway. I can either spend it on myself, take up the challenge of, well, drinks are $10 a piece on an airplane. Uh, I get a free luggage thing. It's two way trip. That's a lot of drinking. Uh, you know, and, and, and like I get a free meal and you can start figuring out like, well, so this is actually costing me 50 bucks each way for 10 times better service and comfort. Right? And that's because you get to a certain level where you can think that way. And to be fair, I don't travel like three times a month. I could afford to do it if I did that. But a few times a year, it's an immediate thing. We're just upgrading to first class, right? And so instead of thinking I want to be middle class, we need to have a little bit of balls. And the goal actually needs, needs to be I want to become wealthy. And the, the thing about this is we've become conditioned to believe that there's like – a fixed percentage that can be in each one of these stratifications. There's no reason the number of wealthy people in the United States per capita can't quadruple. None.
0: Yeah.
1: None. And so that's where we need to be setting our sights. That's what we need to be teaching our kids. And let me tell you something. You know who can become affluent? A welder, a plumber, an electrician. All of these trades that we've been crapping on for 30 years and telling kids you got to go to college... I'm not saying not to go to college. I'm saying like those work too. Those are valid things. And there's a hundred other things like that. Like right now, if I was a well if I was a good welder, and what what I know about permaculture and farming, I'm like, I could come up with tons of shit. Like programming's another example of things people need to like that's a, a valid skill set. Like pick something yeah. and be don't try to be good at it. Try to be great at it. And then be smart enough to know how to market your greatness. Like, if you don't do that, you're still just going to be middle class. And I'm not crapping on the middle class. I'm just saying don't stop. It's a great place to be if you're on a journey. It's not where you want to end the race. It really isn't, you know. Unless you figure out how to do it where you get to live like you're affluent with less money. That's great, too. Like, there are people that, I know one guy, he's, like, all the permaculture shit I teach, he's been doing it for 10 years. He's invested everything in it. He probably doesn't have a huge income, but he doesn't want for shit. And he never will. He, his po- properties paid for, you know, he has enough income. He's basically a hunter gatherer on his own property at this point. <laughs> you know, that's so when I say wealthy, it's not necessarily a number. That's one avenue to it. Yeah. A- an income and whatever. It is having all the things you need and most of the things you want designed into your life as a given. And, you know, it's easier to say than do, but I would also call it something simple. It's not easy, but it's simple because it's something you can do. No one is such, unless like you can't move or something, anyone who really wants to, who will become a student of life, can do that for themselves. And that's that's what I've been trying to teach. And I know uh, maybe you say it differently, but that's what you've been trying to teach people forever.
2: Yep. Yep, and... I appreciate that uh, distinction on wealth. It doesn't necessarily have to be a monetary thing. However, you know, people are like, money doesn't make you happy. Well, not having money doesn't make you happy either. You know? <laughs> Did you ever watch Big Bang Theory? Uh, no, not. not. There's a really. character,
1: he's like, a, he's, he's from India, and he was talking about how money can make you happy. He goes, you can buy two Kawasaki jet skis with that much money. He goes, have you ever seen anybody on a jet ski that wasn't happy? Yeah. <laughs> right? So like yeah. I, I get, you know, money doesn't buy happiness, but people that say that usually don't have any money.
2: That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I like to say it it doesn't bring you happiness, but it makes it easier to pursue happiness. Yeah.
1: I think money makes you more of what you are. So if you're a naturally miserable, you know, MFer, if you give that person money, they'll probably still be miserable. But if you're naturally yeah. happy and you know how to pursue what you love, and I give and you and you've learned to make money your slave versus be money slave. If you give money to somebody who doesn't know how to manage money? They will make their life worse with it. You know, yeah. they will end up dead at the bottom of a swimming pool or worse, right? But if they've learned to master money and they get money, they will become more of that happy person. You know, like like Raj was right, man. It's I've never seen a person on a Kawasaki jet ski bouncing across Lake Travis right with a frown. You know, you know, but I also I never watch my ducks walk by my window without smiling. Yeah. You know, so I mean, there's lots of ways to that happiness. Let's talk a little bit about because we, we're supposed to be talking about this and we've got off all of this about things you can do to help yourself. Because I know that's a big part of what you're, you you're doing. You wanted to first let's start off with dispelling a myth. Somehow somebody somewhere said, because I know you sell Kratom, Kratom cures COVID. You wanted to clear the air on that.
2: Yeah, the last time you interviewed me, we talked in depth about Kratom, and as a result, many of your listeners came and tried out our free ounce offer. It's still available. You can get a free ounce of kratom freeounceofkratom.com, freeounceofkratom.com. And then if people want to buy more, there's not a discount, of course, on the free ounce. All you do is pay $5 shipping and handling, but I created a special coupon code for your listeners. They just do a TSP, and you can get 5% off. And so Kratom, it's a member of the coffee family. It's a powderized leaf of the Kratom evergreen tree. The green and white varieties are a little uplifting, good for focus, stress, anxiety. The red varieties, people primarily take it for chronic pain. A lot of people take it instead of prescription pain medicine. And then people even take it to overcome the withdrawal symptoms if they've been dependent on uh, prescription pain medicine or even opiates, uh, for example. So I've been in this space for over three years now. And as soon as this coronavirus stuff popped off, there was an article shared on this Kratom Culture website, and the article was quoting a professor in Indonesia. So it was translated from Indonesian, (laughs) and the professor said something along the lines of the chemical structure of chloroquine, right? Yeah, This Your your audience is familiar with it. The chemical structure has secondary and tertiary compounds in it, uh, amines, like an amino in it, that are similar to some of the compounds, the secondary and tertiary compounds in kratom. Okay. That's what he said, and he said perhaps there's some hope that this could help or whatever. Yeah. And people took that. This article, Kratom Culture, took it and ran with it to say – let me pull up the specific thing. They said specifically – Oh, this is the wrong email here. Here it is. This popular natural alternative to pain medications, which hails from the same plant as coffee, same family as coffee, contains a special compound known as chloroquine or CQ <laughs> that research shows is powerfully combative against coronavirus. And, of course, Natural News, which is a hugely popular website, they took that and said the exact same thing. Other no, That doesn't websites, surprise
1: me. I am not a Mike Adams fan. I'll just I'll leave it at that.
2: No, he does some good, but there's a lot of misinformation and and lack of of in-depth research. And so I started getting messages and emails from people, uh, from my my customers that were like, hey, man, Kratom cures coronavirus. And then I got a message from one of my friends that wasn't even a Kratom customer. And he's like, you probably have enough Kratom on hand to save the whole world. (laughs) And so I went and did the research, and it it doesn't cure – coronavirus in the least bit but i will say there are some compounds in kratom for example kratom has some antioxidant properties and there are a couple compounds in kratom that have known anti uh, viral and that have uh, anti-inflammatory effects and that are immunostimulants so while it's not going to cure the coronavirus i would never make that claim Mm -hmm. i'd get a lot of trouble for making that claim um I will say that it does have some immune boosting benefits, and that's an important thing. One of them too, an indirect benefit, is that the green and white varieties especially really help with stress and anxiety. And so earlier when you were when you were saying that it's not going to do you any good to panic, mm. it's not going to be good for your health to panic because that stress and that cortisol going through your system will make your immune system more vulnerable. It'll weaken your immune system. You'll be more vulnerable to having some severe effects from the coronavirus. So that's an an indirect benefit, but yeah, thanks for the for the opportunity to clear that up, because I know some of your customers, uh, or some of your listeners became Kratom customers, yeah. and I don't want anybody thinking they can just pound a bunch of Kratom, and they're going to be fine.
1: No, I mean, I, I'm recommending something in the, the natural state as well, a compound called Qcertin or Qcertain, or Qcertain, I don't even know how to say it right, um, <laughs> but I've been taking it for over a year, it, because my doctor has me on it. Uh, along with zinc and a, a single dose daily of green tea extract. Uh, and I take the q twice a day, I take the zinc uh, two, twice a day, and I take the green tea extract once a day, because you can take too much of that, put a load on your kidneys and what have you.
0: Sure. Uh,
1: and the reason I'm doing that is because both the green tea extract and the q act as what's called an ionophore for zinc. And that fo- what ionophores do is they let zinc get in the cell. That's what chloroquine does, by the way. It, it, one of the things. See, chloroquine does more. Like chloroquine reduces like inflammation in lungs. Oh, that's that's why lupus people take it, right? So it does more. But the quercetin gets and the green tea gets the uh, zinc into the cells. Well, it's a scientific fact that if you put zinc in cells, you reduce the replication rates of any RNA replicating virus, which coronaviruses. That's all true. I certainly do not call it a cure or a treatment. Number one, I ain't going to Club Fed. And number two, I don't know that, but, like, we had an infectious disease doctor in the audience who has been an infectious disease specialist for 30 years, looked at the science behind why I came up with that and said, there's no reason this shouldn't help, and he put his whole family on it. I consider that pretty – but, like you, I'm not going to say it does shit to treat or cure, and that seems like there's more to it than – you know, it might boost immunity, but I'm with you on the stress when they show these like individual young people on the use fear to like, oh, this 30 year old got it and ended up almost dead or died or whatever. Like, OK, I don't know what reason there is for that, but I bet you there's a reason. Like, how, how do I know that that guy didn't go on a four-day alcohol bender <laughs> on spring break, right? They were on yeah. spring... How, you, you, I was a kid who went to spring break once, John. Guess what? You drink, don't you? So, like, oh, yeah. did that guy go into, like, alcohol psychosis for five days and then contract it while his immunity was down? Like, just because he was you know, young and healthy, compared to what? Or has he been, you know, living on moon pies for three weeks? Has he been popping meth to get through college? I mean... There's always something, and I think that you're right, that, like, strong immunity and good emotional health, like, are hugely important. So is there anything else that you can come up with, like, for stress reduction or whatever?
2: Yeah, it, and there's a story out of California, because you can see how the tide goes, and it just the propaganda is so blatant. I've been watching a little bit more mainstream news than ever before, because okay. I just – that's not where I get my news. And now that I watch it, especially ABC News and some of these, these guys, like – it's so obvious, the propaganda. And you could tell early on when they were like, Americans don't buy masks. You don't yeah. need N95 masks. We need to save these for hospital staff. They won't even help you to avoid getting coronavirus. And I was like, well, then why would the hospital staff wear them? Yeah. You know? And now all of a sudden that the, I guess the supply's been short up a little more. Now the peons are allowed to have these N95 masks. I got six for my family, a couple spare as well early on, um, in early March. But there was a story out of California because they – the same thing, they noticed that the young people weren't taking it as serious because perhaps they weren't as at risk as much. And so they started pumping out a bunch of stories of young people getting coronavirus, and there was somebody that was 17 in California that got coronavirus and died, and of course the headline is – young 17-year-old dies of coronavirus, but then you actually read the article and you find out that he had leukemia and he died of the leukemia. And then we see Britt Burks, one of the doctors that's on the Trump's task force, she recently said that it's their policy now to count deaths as coronavirus deaths, even if they potentially may have died of another cause. So at the end of the day, I think the mortality rate is going to be far lower than... Than what everyone's the, saying, the it is. The
1: Connecticut governor recently got burned in another uh, lie, uh, of all this and that. Connecticut governor has been hit so many times. Like this guy should be impeached by his people, um, claiming it was like a, a, a baby. Yeah, I remember it was you know, oh, eight, yeah, eight months or eighteen months or something like that. Died of coronavirus. Well, it turned out she died with coronavirus, but there was some kind, like some kind of physical accident occurred.
2: Oh my yeah.
1: And this this poor child ends up at the hospital, pretty much dead already from the accident. Yep. But then they test her and she and they put it down as a coronavirus death. Yeah, and, and that, that kind of shit, sore. man. You know, there's a point where the state should start realizing that your propaganda is hurting you because. Your feet, like the people we talked about that are totally conspiracy theorists, that are out there way out, like Alex Jones is like, holy shit, you're nuts. Like that guy, you're feeding their delusion with what you're doing, but you're also losing the distrust of anybody that would even consider listening to you because like, well, that was a lie, so what else is a lie? Yeah. And New Jersey's doing something stupid now here's for, here's stupid for stupid they're sending drones around with speakers on them <laughs> to remind people to stay away from each other but That's they're nice. not spying on you yeah right. they're just okay let's say that let's say they're being honest I'm not saying they are I'm just saying let's let's say that they are how stupid are you how stupid are you to do that right in fact you might as well spy on people with them because they're never going to believe that you're not anyway like, yeah. But you're certainly you're like, no one wants a drone. F- I don't care who you are. You could be the biggest statist on the planet. You start flying a drone over people in like Hoboken. Please remember to stay six feet away from you. Uh, really, you're gonna like so. I'm gonna looking go at- skeet shooting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, and I <laughs> tell you what, those drones when they hover. Boy, with a rifle 300 meters up, I can still take one out. I'm not saying I did it, or not, I'm just saying you could. But, yeah, like, the stress levels are huge, and I think the government's not helping there. Um, what, what are your thoughts on just overall immune boosting, like some of the things
2: that you can do for that? Yeah, so the Kratom, of course... As I was saying, it's great for stress and anxiety. People can try a free ounce of green manga. It's probably the best for stress. And that's free ounce of kratom.com or the main website's mybravebotanicals.com. And don't forget, you can get 5% off with TSP. And then I took advantage of the opportunity to not only increase my revenue, but also to help people because I saw like there's no hand sanitizer out there. And a lot of the hand sanitizer that is out there. Has triclosan, which is a known carcinogen, and all sorts of chemicals you can't even pronounce on the on the back of the label. So, I set up a separate store. Now you can't I can't take credit card and debit card on BraveHealthStore.com, which is real exciting for me because the government doesn't let the <laughs> credit card companies do credit cards for kratom. You can do eCheck or Venmo or cryptocurrency, super safe and secure. There's some explanations about it on the site, but I set up this separate website, BraveHealthStore.com. And one of the best-selling products has been uh, what we call Avenger hand sanitizer. And the main ingredient is colloidal silver. We also have a 16-ounce, 20-part-per-million colloidal silver as well. Now, colloidal silver has a lot of scientific studies backing it up as an antiviral, antibacterial, antimicrobial, even saying it pushes back the HIV virus, herpes virus, and some respiratory viruses. So it's very promising. Uh, especially if you're nebulizing it, like vaporizing it and just taking those small particles in through your lungs. Again, not I'm not saying it cures anything or will prevent anything, but it does have a lot of scientific research touting its benefits as an antiviral. So the the hand sanitizer is a misting hand spray. So those are two of the products. And then as far as immune support, which could never be more important, this is stuff that we need to be doing regardless if there's a panic or a coronavirus uh, epidemic going on, pandemic. Um, We have ZAP, which is an herbal immune formula, and I take it every day. It's an alcohol-based tincture. It has organic onion, organic garlic, cinnamon, ginger, oregano, echinacea, grapeseed powder, ginkgo biloba, cloves, cilantro. It's got the whole gamut of powerful herbs and spices that I have scientific uh, benefits as far as the immune system goes. And then we have just the straight-up echinacea, which is one of the most popular, most effective immune-boosting herbs. And then just last night, I started offering straight vitamin C powder, which is ascorbic acid, which is a great way to get vitamin C. So we have vitamin C powder, vitamin D3, and zinc and those are three of the big ones that have been recommended by doctors and that have scientists that are backing up their benefits. They're, and again, I'm not saying cure coronavirus or anything, but this isn't intravenous vitamin C either. It's a powder. But we do see that there's a lot of reports, even here in the United States, of doctors using vitamin C to knock back coronavirus. So there's a lot of promise there. And um, again, it's bravehealthstore.com. People can use the same TSP coupon code to get 5% off. So like we talked about earlier, uh, I saw an opportunity. There's a market void. A lot of the stores are sold out of this stuff, especially the hand sanitizer. And so I just wanted to stick with my industry, which I feel so blessed that business is doing good for me through this because in light of all the craziness coming out, one positive silver lining, colloidal silver lining, so to speak, is uh, that people are going to start taking their health more seriously. So we have these products to offer your listeners and their family. They're all high-quality stuff. A lot of them are formulated by a doctor friend of mine, Dr. Jerry Peterman. He's a naturopath here in Central Texas. So, yeah, people check it out. And like I said, it's never a better time to start taking this stuff more seriously and start shoring up our immune systems.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. So, hey, dude, I really appreciate you being here today, and I definitely agree that – Increasing your immunoresponse is like the best thing anybody can do, probably always, but especially right now. Um, I can't remember the doctor's name, but there's a YouTube channel you might want to check out yourself. It's called Medcram. And this is a doctor. He's just outstanding. And he's been talking a lot about this. He's basically, he's done like a video every day for like a week. And then he goes away for a week and he comes back because he's actually doing ICU rotations, treating COVID patients. Wow. And um, he was talking about a different way of looking at this than anybody else I've ever heard talk about it. He said, so you get this and you don't have a clue, even if you're going to be symptomatic for five days on average. This is all averages, but they're, they're pretty average for most people. About the fifth day, you start having symptoms, so you go to the doctor, you go get tested. And it takes a while for your test to come back, depending on what kind of test they give you, but they basically look at you and say, yeah, got COVID, go home. (laughs) And they don't do anything, and then some portion of those people, five days later, at about day 10, are back because they're going to now go into the hospital, either you know general hospital or ICU, or maybe need a ventilator. And that window of those five days is where you either have or you do not have sufficient innate immunity to fight that virus off. Mm, And that we should be looking at that window, if you want to reduce the hospital load, if you cut that window by even 10%, you cut the hospital load by a quarter. Because a certain amount of people don't come back already. And that window is when we need to be doing whatever we can to build up your innate immunity. But I'm, I'm like you. Why not start before you're sick? Yeah. So I think anything people can do to increase their innate immunity, and there's a lot of things we can do. And, you know, I'll say on top of everything we've talked about today, you know, a good multivitamin. And because I think yep. one of the problems is deficient is not necessarily what we think of when we look at nutritional deficiencies. That means, again, you won't get sick if you – won't, you, won't, you won't suffer health-wise mm. if nothing bad happens. That doesn't mean that, like, being low in vitamin C, for instance, you know, okay, you're good. As far. That means you're not going to die of scurvy. That doesn't mean that you have enough of it to help you fight off viruses. It just doesn't. And I think anything you can do, man. So I, I'm glad to see the stuff you're doing. We had a great conversation today, a bunch of stuff. Man, burned up 90 minutes, dude. So, <laughs> hey, I appreciate you being with us today.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for uh, giving me the opportunity to speak with your audience and you keep up the good work. You're sharing a lot of great content and like you were saying earlier, you don't want to be the one to toot your own horn, but you've been on this wavelength and telling people to get ready and here we are. So now is a great slap in the face to everyone, not your audience, I'm sure. They're already on the same wavelength, but share this information with your friends and family and there's never been a better time to start getting prepared and taking this more seriously.
1: And as we were all over the map there, did, is there anything that, that you didn't get to say that you wanted to? I want to make sure that I don't, you know, cut us off just on time. The boss says it's okay. So if, if there's anything else you wanted
2: to add, man, here you go. Oh, yeah. Well, there, there was one thing. Um, I was talking about how this presents an opportunity to kind of shift. I did a video, too, like how we can reboot the way we live individually and as a society. And there's this idea that, this strategy i came up with several years ago and then like i said i just got so focused on entrepreneurship so i could provide better for my family i didn't have the energy or the ability to to get it out there thankfully my good friend derek bros he does the he took this concept this strategy and just blasted it out to the world and it's it's this concept called a freedom cell which is essentially a mutual aid group and so like we started off saying, the powers that be, the ruling class, they are using this as an opportunity to centralize power, to scare people, to shelter in everyone, uh, to roll out the surveillance stuff. But we free thinkers and freedom loving people can use it as an opportunity to kind of shift how things are done in the future. And essentially the idea is just you organize yourselves into small groups of around eight people. This could be a couple families. This could be several friends, associates. The reason why it's eight people, there's been research done that shows the number eight is the most effective and creative number for a group of people. If you have four people, there's not as many ideas that get shared. If you have 12 or 15 people, there begins to be some inefficiencies and budding heads. Of course, it can be six. It can be 10. It can be whatever. This isn't a top-down kind of deal, but you organize yourself into a mutual aid group. You set common goals. Everyone has three months food storage. Everyone has firearms and knows how to use them safely and proficiently. Everyone has a bug-out plan. Everyone has encrypted communication or even off-grid communication. Everyone's gardening and growing food, and you all help each other to to establish these goals. But then where it deviates from the traditional affinity group is that you start to encourage other people to form these groups of around eight people. Then, ideally, once you get around eight groups or let's just say ten groups of ten to make it easy – Now you form what I call a middle cadre. So you have your inner cadre. You're all dedicated to supporting one another, showing up for one another in difficult times, helping be accountability partners with one another. This could also be like exercise and health. You're making sure you're reaching your daily goals. Now you have 10 groups of 10. This group forms up to support one another, not as much as the individual groups support each other, but more than you're helping out and doing mutual aid for the general public. And then imagine having 10 groups of 100. Now you have a regional group of 1,000. And these groups can help. So let's say, and again, we're trying to create a society where we don't depend on the state. So let's say one of the group members, uh, they have rent coming up and they lost their job and they're $500 short on rent. You have a group of a 1,000 or even a group of a 100. Everybody just has to chip in $5 or $10. And it's not like a charity thing or a free rider thing because there's a semblance of reciprocity. You know that when one of your brothers in your Freedom Cell organization network needs help, that they can rely on the other group. And you know, when you need help, you can rely on the other people. And this can go as far as like, let's say they're doing lockdowns or the, if, or God forbid it does come down to forcible vaccinations or whatever. You can show up with this group and put out an alert. Like there's an app called cell 411, get cell 411.com. You create a cell on there. People can come help. Or let's say there's, ro- it's a complete societal collapse. Again, hopefully that doesn't happen. And you have like the roving bands of looters and marauders. And it's like you're relying on that Freedom Cell organization, the group of 100 in your local area to come show up and support one another or even healthcare. Right. We want to create stateless society where we don't have to depend on the centralized health insurance infrastructure. So it's like, OK, my son broke his leg. Uh, we're coming up a little short. It's going to cost us 5000 We got 3000 We need to. Can we crowdfund this other thing? There's all sorts of applications, and it's not just a concept. Like I said, my good friend took this idea and really put it out, and now we have groups in Australia, UK, all over the United States. And there's a website people can go to, freedomcells.org, Freedomcells. You know, it's, it's kind of playing off the whole terror cell, mm-hmm. but it's a freedom cell. And also the cells in your body are synergistic and work together, right, in a collaborative way. Freedomcells.org, you can go register for the site and pull up a map and see if there's a freedom cell group in your area. Or you can start one with your friends and family and your associates. And I really think that, like I've always said, now, like I keep saying now more than ever, there's an opportunity to present alternative ways of organizing society that aren't top-down, hierarchical, Shoving stuff down your throat with drones in your face, right? These yeah. are a way that are mutually beneficial. They're decentralized. It's peer to peer. And we could do things voluntary. And this could eventually replace a lot of the way the social safety nets. I always get that as an anarchist. Well, what about poor people? What about the grandma that can't help herself? Like this could replace all of that and do it effectively and efficiently. And it's already happening. It's not a far fetched idea. It's not illegal to do this. So I, I thought that that might resonate with your audience.
1: No, I'm sure it will. I've already, while you were talking, I looked up the site, and I added it to today's show notes so people can get uh, get over there and check it out. Hey, man, again, thanks for being with us today.
2: Hey, thanks, Jack.
1: So that went really long, but uh, whenever I get together with John, it does. We, we're just friends that like to have conversations, and sometimes we record them. Anyway, I do want to remind you, both Brave Botanicals and Brave Health Store are doing 5% off for all of you guys with code TSP. I'm not going to talk about an item of the day today. I'm just going to remind you, you can help support the Survival Podcast uh, and the work that we do, uh, as long as you do your online shopping at com. We're going to wrap up quick today. Um, we're, for Song of the Day, we're in Neil Diamond week. And again, I've always said I'm not really a huge Neil Diamond fan, but it's kind of enjoying his music this week. I'm, so I'm glad to have John Adam do these things for us. Um, this song is called If I Don't See You Again, and it's, it's you know a, a recent, if there is such a thing, Neil Diamond song. It's from like 2008. He said of this song, he's not even sure what it's really all about yet, um, that it was like, an in, you know, like, like kind of like a, a, a burst that just came in and he just kept writing and writing and writing. He wrote lo- a longer song, I think, than he's ever written. Uh, It is a pretty long song. It's an interesting song. Now, John Adams said, maybe it's just me, but this song has a Johnny Cash vibe to me. And my first thought when he said that was, uh, you're probably insane. And then as soon as I heard the first couple words of it, I went, yeah, I I hear it. It does kind of have like an especially Johnny toward the end of his career type of a, a vibe to it. I also heard something in it. You might think I'm crazy, but it's like the first couple notes of it. It made me think of um, Air Supplies All Out of Love. And I think if you can think of the way that song sounds, and you hear like the first little bit of this, you'll be like, oh, I I hear that too. Um, The song is, you know, it's about basically like, it sounds like a relationship that might be ending. I say, you know, specifically, might be ending. Like it's indecided right now if I don't see you again. But in another way, you know, by the time Neil wrote this, he's getting toward the end of his career. And I think he's still making music and all, but I mean, there's a point where an artist has done their great work, and they've had their 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 big experience, if they're ever going to have one, that they were a megastar, and they've come into a decline on the other side. Like that's just a natural cycle for all. Or even some of the greatest of all time, that are still around, you can remember when they were, like, let's say, in the 80s or the 70s or something, huge! And now, like, if they do a concert, people will show up and people still love them and people still listen to their music, but, eh, they had their day. And, I don't know, call me crazy, but I kind of feel like this song has elements of a farewell to, like, the fan base as well to it, to me. Anyway, with that, it's been Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast.
0: If I don't see you again It was a hell of a ride Don't need to say let's be friends Don't need to promise you're right We rode that train through the night And never cared where it went If I don't see you again If I don't see you again We ran a whole other race Two strangers meet on the road And find their time and their place We never once had to lie We'd pass the age of consent If I don't see you again I know it's crazy out there I hear it sleeping around I went out looking for love Never like what I found Don't pay to make it alone God knows it's lonely out there I made it once on my own And hardly anyone cared If I don't see you again Who are you gonna run to, baby? Who you gonna hide behind when? it suddenly cold. Who's gonna hold you? Who's gonna know? Who will you go to? Who you gonna call if it ain't me? When you're feeling lost and there's nobody out there looking for you. What will If I don't see you again If I don't see you again You made it happen somehow I think i give up on life But I feel better right now Something you said turned me around Don't even know what you meant If I don't see And at the end of the day I hated sleeping alone There's nothing worse when you're lost And you don't want to go home It's gonna work out some way I just don't want to be found I'm waiting here on the bend And I'll be hanging around If I don't see you again Oh, my kid I'm going nowhere I can't even get through an hour Without you, should be ashamed Just want to hear you calling my name Two of us missed connections guess we must have somehow missed something more Cause we're here alone I'd know we're together But too far apart To know how to get back home It's time for saying goodbye Cause if I stayed for too long You'd get to know me too well and find that something is wrong. The time is perfect to go before the curtain descends. Right now, when both of us know that everything's got to end, if I don't see you again. What's it gonna come to be? Gonna hide behind when the nights get filled up with doom. Looking to run, you run out of room. And will you be the one to save me? Doesn't look like a future. Nobody hears me, I end up playing to the moon It's time of saying goodbye, cause if I stayed for too long You'd get to know me too well, and find that something was wrong The time is perfect to go, before the curtain descends Right now when both of us know, that everything's got to end If I don't see you again If I don't see you again Somehow we both made it through I would have gave up on life Before I gave up on you You went and turned me around Could be with something you said I couldn't make out the sound I didn't care what it meant If I don't see